knock our dogs with mustard and relish. We got a great pitcher, what's his name? Well, we can't even spell it. We don't worry about the pen as much. We just like to see the boys hit it deep. There's nothing like the view from the cheeks. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson. How are you, Bryson? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, we actually have baseball going on now. There was two intra-squad games on Tuesday and Wednesday of this past week as we record this on Saturday, July 18th. And I think we both watched it. We both really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to see baseball on TV, finally. It definitely, it most certainly was. Uh, this was the first Blue Jays baseball that we've seen since March and any other kind of baseball around the MLB as every team is pretty much doing this and it's kind of the only way to play games right now. So uh, definitely really creative and fun how they did it. I'm glad they actually televised it and I was completely shocked when Dan Schulman started calling the intra-squad game. You know, right when you tune in, you're. I mean, it was cool to see it, but then after, I guess, a few innings, you were just... I started to realize I'm like how uh, ridic- ridiculous it was, but then I, and then at the other end, I was also you know jumping to the conclusion that this is the only way. This is pretty much the only way that this can go right now, until we actually get games. What starting next week now? So we know the Jays are uh, set to go to Fenway for a two game exhibition series next week, and then they open up next Friday uh, down at the Trop against the Rays. So you know. We're almost there. We're so close. Um, there's been g- great news with the, the COVID numbers around the league. The percentage actually dropped, which is really good. And you hope that this can be maintained. But if you want to look at it from this perspective, it's good that they're going to be able to get opening day underway. Some people were even doubting that from the start if it would ever uh, happen. But anyways, back to the inter-squad game. It, it was really cool seeing it. And I, I mean, the empty, the, I'm not going to lie, the empty stadium really... It really bothers me. Like right when I, like right when I watched it for the first time, or you, know, I guess when there were uh, there was a foul ball when they're showing the the camera towards the stands at watching the ball go down in the seats, uh, that kind of really hit me hard. There, uh, I was I was a little disappointed, but I know that this is something that all of us are gonna have to get used to for pretty much everything, uh, every sport, every gathering, no matter what. It's there's no spectators at all right now, so it's. It's something that I can get used to, but I hope it's something that I don't get used to for the long term. Um, other than that, it was cool. The dome was open. Uh, the horn was going off when there was a home run. Uh, I was really excited about that. Uh, there was music, and then I think they were doing artificial crowd, no- crowd noise, so they were doing everything they could to make it kind of feel normal. But uh, the Blue Jays won both games, which was really cool. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I, I was... At first, again, I was like, I was a little skeptical about me watching it, but after after the f- first few innings, I knew that uh, this was something that I had to keep in touch on and you know stay uh, tuned in on. And of course, I watched the next night. I'm sure you did as well, Mark. So mm-hmm. really cool how they made it feel like such a normal game with the um, with there was even an actual umpire calling the game out one yeah, of the yeah. one of the times, not both. Guys. Yeah, so I think he was the only Canadian MLB umpire. So it's good mm-hmm. for him too to get some work in. Um, yeah, they just made it feel so normal. They had Tim Langton uh, doing the PA calls like he usually does, the music, everything, the dome open, the horn. So um, overall, a massive win, and uh, it was good to get the viewers back into, um, you know, get back, back get back into the game and following the Blue Jays, which is the team that we all love to up here. So um, it was really cool, and thank God we're only a week away from actual opening day. So that's also exciting to look forward to. Yeah, six days away from when the Blue Jays head to 
Tampa Bay and will face off against the Raves on Friday. I think the start time is 6.30 for that game, so that's very exciting. By the time we record next week, there's going to be regular season baseball happening. But I think when I heard about these inter-squad games, I didn't really think about how it actually would happen. I was just excited to watch baseball, and I still watched it all the way through for both games. But like you said, it was truly ridiculous and bizarre on multiple (laughs) fronts. Because, like, first off, like, we are experiencing all of this for the first time. Like you said, the no fans in the stands, which really threw me off. And then you have, you know... Dan Schulman, as you mentioned, Joe Siddle, they're talking all the time about all these different factors going on, which of course we've talked about all the time. It's just so bizarre to hear it on a major league broadcast. And then you mentioned the artificial crowd noise. And then on top of that, this is an intra-squad game. So it's not even just the Blue Jays playing themselves. It's the fact that you have, you know, lineups that aren't, you know, set in stone because you want certain players to get reps. So you can just like Vladdy can bat third and he can bat seventh and it doesn't matter. Like you can have things be totally bizarre just because it is an intra-squad game. And I think in the first game, the team bow was up and then Randall Grishik got on base um, in the fifth inning. And then they were like, okay, that's it. We're done the game. And it, everyone, like, it was like, what, why'd you just stop the game? But that's the point of an intra-squad game. Like, once a pitcher gets the amount of reps that they need, the amount of pitches they need to throw, it's that's the goal. So that was really bizarre to watch, but bottom line, I definitely enjoyed seeing baseball. You mentioned the artificial crowd noise. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it was to me it was less obvious than I thought it would be. It did seem kind of just natural to have the artificial crowd noise, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in the artificial crowd noise just because I feel like um, or based off what I've seen around the world too with other sports, um, I guess a prime example would be down in Europe with soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just I think it's a little over the top. But like you said, it actually wasn't that noticeable. I, I really didn't. You know, it's it's not like you heard like a massive ovation like out of nowhere. It was kind of gradual and it was kind of it was it was kind of on it wasn't on like the highest volume. So if they want to factor it in like that, I don't mind it to be honest with you. I really don't. Um, but I, I was expecting more of like an obvious, like like something where you're just it was just really obvious, and you're just like sitting there, and you're like really. But it was something that I didn't even notice as much at first, and you know what? If they if they if they want to pipe that crowd noise in like that exact same level or frequency during games, I actually I think I, I'd be able to manage with it, and we've been seeing it across all the other um, stadiums too. I think Fenway was doing it too a few days ago. I saw a video of it uh, at Miller Park in Milwaukee. They were actually. Artificial crowd noise when Christian Yelich was up to uh, up to to bat, they're actually booing him. So that was pretty funny. But you know, for the Jays, I wasn't I wasn't too bothered by it actually, and I I warmed up to it a bit. But I just don't want it to get to that extent where it's just so loud, and then you're just thinking about how how stupid it is. So that that's <laughs> the one thing um, I, I'll take away from it. And then the other thing too that I was trying to notice too, I was as much as the games and. The way everything was, you know, everything was going looked really weird and it looked like an actual intra-squad, which it was. I was trying to look around too of, you know, how many employees are around the dugouts, everyone wearing masks, uh, people in this, like the the few people in the stands, the few, um, I guess random, like a few guys associated with the team were just sitting in the stands. So I was trying to get a look around the actual ballpark too, to see uh, the protocols that are put in place. We know that there's extended dugouts or like at least the Jays made a little tent there was an extended part up the um, up the third baseline, 
So I was just trying to get used to all of that as well. So it's it's a lot for us to take in. And I, the one thing I do want to take away from it is it's kind of a good preview or a good sense of what it's going to be like. So I'm glad I got to see that now rather than seeing it for the first time at Tropicana Field or even Fenway next week in the exhibition uh, series. And you're just completely like overwhelmed with everything going on. And even the one funny part too is in Fenway, they're actually making an extended dugout uh, mm-hmm. for the visitors ballpark. I, mean, I don't know if you saw that, Mark, but they're actually making tents up the f- the first like three or four rows. So I'm just glad I'm, get- I'm getting to see all this now because I feel like if I saw it all at the heat of the moment, I'd get very overwhelmed. But back to the crowd noise, I don't mind it at all. And I'm glad that they're, you know, not making it too obvious. So um, I'll, I'll, it's something I can deal with this year. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it before and I was initially very skeptical because like, we all know the truth. We all know this is absolutely fake, but at the same time, it doesn't really register, I feel like, until it's gone. Like, for us watching the game, like, I wasn't bothered by it because it just seemed natural, but the moment you start to think about it, okay, this is fake, then that's when you start to clue in, but at the same time, if it's, you know, like a low level, just kind of a background noise that you don't really notice, I, I, yeah, I, I, my mind has been changed. It sounds a lot more natural than I thought it would, and even though it looks weird, I'm I'm on board with it now. But you mentioned, you know, the extended dugouts of Blue Jays converting the camera wells um, down the first and third baselines to extend the dugouts, and like you said, Fenway Park, which is interesting, and it's, again, strange to look at all this and absorb all this new information in the way that teams are doing this. But at the same time, I have been very encouraged I know I've aired my skepticism before of how this season will go and whether it is responsible to have a season, but at least for the Blue Jays, they seem to be handling things appropriately um, and responsibly. Dan Schulman, as you mentioned, he was on a podcast at the Letters with um, Arden Zwelling, and he talked about how he estimated there was only about 200 people in the ballpark total. Of course, 60 players, and you have coaches, staff, media. Um, but at the same time, he said, you know, he was never more than six feet close to someone. They, Everyone had to take a questionnaire. Every meter, member of the media had to have their temperature checked, take a questionnaire of what they've been, what their symptoms are, um, you know. And apparently there's a distinction between Tier 1 um, people, which is players and people come into direct contact with the players and there's tier two and tier three, tier three is the media. So I, I, I think the Blue Jays and other teams are handling this very responsibly and I've been happy with how things have turned out so far. And even though it does look weird, I am obviously happy to have baseball back. It's so optimistic and it's so, you know, it's encouraging, not optimistic, sorry, the bad choice of words. It's encouraging to see all this transpiring, like you said. And, you know, how serious people are taking it. Because if, based off the numbers now, if they want to get this season done, this needs to be consistent throughout these next two, three months, four months at the most. So what I want to see, I'm, and I'm sure that, um, you know, the players are taking this responsibly. Well, at least they're saying that. And I really hope that they mean it. Um, I This has to be done, you know, we're not, we haven't even started opening day yet, which is, um, but, you know, what we've seen now, it's good. And this needs to continue to go especially when teams actually start traveling and playing real games. So if this continues to keep up, um, it's it's definitely encouraging that they could, they might be able to get the season finished, which is obviously the, the intention. And even for the media, I, I like I like the idea how they're doing this. And I like how the questionnaires, like you said, the uh, the temperature checks, all the testing protocols around the parks. Um, it's, it's really encouraging and it's really good to see that all of us or all of the 30 teams around the, um, the MLB are taking this as serious as possible. 
because first of all, they're in a different scenario than the other sports because they're right now, they're the only sport that's not doing a bubble. So for them, they need to be extra cautious because of all the air travel they're going to be doing and pretty much state to state travel. So that's the one thing I want to take away from it as well, that they need to be, and the other thing too, is that they, right now they have each team has 60 players at their camps. And I know it's going to be reduced next week. Uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to start at 30 and gradually go down to 26, which was the original uh, roster spot maximum this year. But, and I think the Jays are bringing around 30 people to uh, Fenway. They're obviously not going to bring all 60 people, but right now everyone has 60 players. So that's, that's the one thing too, that's even more encouraging for me is that they have such a high volume of players. It's going to be the highest volume that they ever have this season before it gets reduced next week. And the other 30 players go to the alternate training site for the taxi squad it's good that uh, they're keeping everything in check. So you'd figure if you have less players on your roster, that'd be easier to do that. And hopefully, hopefully it continues to go that way. But that's the other thing I want to, uh, I'm pointing out is the numbers game, how they're playing this. And, and again, you have, you can't forget about the media because there's a ton of people with the media and the broadcasters, all of the, um, the beat writers, all of the reporters, all of it. And I think, uh, uh, Mark, I don't know if you saw a picture too, but Mike Wilner showed a picture of uh, the broadcast booth uh, Roger Center, the, the the modifications they made, and pretty much on one side it's one uh, monitor followed by a divider, like a, a plastic, like just a shield. It's and um, on the other side it's another uh, a monitor. So it's also good that the precautions that the media are taking, and this is something that everyone's taking seriously. So you have to imagine that um, it's going on throughout all thirty parks, and people are being as creative as possible. I've mentioned before uh, a couple weeks ago how Boston again they're. They're turning suites into mini locker rooms, mini clubhouses with two players apart. So the creativity is definitely cool to see as well. I really like how they're doing it, but at the end of the day, you hope that this is just in place for one season. So um, that's 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 what I take out of it. Yeah, and I do want to talk about the kind of on-field performances for these inter-squad games. And I guess it's kind of like spring training in the fact that you know, none of this actually matters and we shouldn't read much into it. And it's probably even more so to that extent than the spring training would be. But at the same time, I think we can draw some conclusions for what's happening and what we're seeing on the field. We saw Bull Bichette on the very first pitch of the first inter-squad game go deep, which is really encouraging. Rowdy Telez hit, a, I think, three home runs in two inter-squad games, so that was really exciting. So do you have any, I, I guess, points to pick up on from these games based on player performance, or do you think you can't really say anything just because it's you know, a total crapshoot as far as it goes? You know, when, when you think about it, you probably realize that it doesn't mean much, but I still, you know, I still have, I still took down some notes of, you know, people who stood out in my mind, so I guess I'll go through some of it. But yeah, Bobachet's the first name on my list. And how about a statement he made the very first pitch of the first televised intra squad game, um, you know, hitting a home run, which was really cool to see right off the bat. Um, I have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as well, just because I know we haven't really, you know, there other than the first, the position move, there hasn't been really much on him, but the first, the first base move is the, is why I have so much attention on him. You know, we're all seeing highlights of it and how he's adapting to it. He's been really good defensively there so far. Yeah. He made the one nice diving play too. That was um, on a highlight which was really cool. Engine Ryu, of course, he's the new off-season addition, the biggest off-season addition. Uh, you, you, you like to see him back there. Nate Pearson as well, because we know the hype he has. Uh, Kevin Biggio and um, Austin Martin as well, just because of his presence. I know he didn't really get much of the uh, action in the intra-squad games, but just to see him you know, arriving, doing field work, batting practice, it was just cool to see his presence. Because again, 
we usually don't talk about these first round picks for years to come, but we're talking about this kid not even like six six weeks after the draft. So those are my standout players, and those are obviously the reasons why. And of course, there's a few other names like Yamaguchi, who's another new addition. Uh, he's going to be he's in contention for that fifth starter position. And uh, yeah, and even Kevin Bijou. Yesterday he was taking center field reps, so we all know that he's probably going to be moving around the diamond too as a utility player. Mark, I know that you are in favor of him eventually moving to the outfield. So um, it's it's really cool to keep track of all this. And those are my standout players based off of what I've seen. And not just because of the inter-squad games, but even just around the, the camp period. Chase Anderson is another player that people have been talking about, not because of the positive, but because of the negative. He um, suffered an oblique strain earlier this week and is almost certainly going to miss opening day for the Blue Jays. Officially, he is day-to-day, but... Um, as we know, opening day in six days from when we're recording now, so definitely not going to make the opening day roster, I don't think. And there was already a lot of talk around the Blue Jays rotation. Um, you know, there was kind of the four guaranteed spots, including Anderson, that were considered, as I said, guaranteed. And then there was one spot that, you know, a few other guys could be fighting for. But now there's two spots, and it opened things up. So, of course, in the rotation, we have Ryu leading things off. Tanner Rourke is going to be getting a spot. Um, we don't know about some of the other guys, but Matt Shoemaker looks like he's definitely going to be getting a spot. But then you have the two open spots, and you have, you know, guys like Ryan Brucky, Trent Thornton, maybe even Nate Pearson, Shun Yamaguchi, um, Jacob Waggis pack maybe in that conversation as well. So there's lots of guys involved in this conversation of who's getting those two roster spots. And um, I think a lot of people are focusing in on this question as kind of the key question of Blue Jay camp. Because I think mostly everything else is figured out. Of course, you have guys on the fringes that are going to be either making the roster or not making the roster. Like, I don't know, relievers like Ty Tice or, you know, Thomas Hatch or Brian Moran or guys like that. But I, I think that the rotation question is a key question of camp. So, as, as I said, Bryson, those two spots open. Do you have any predictions or thoughts on who's going to get them? Well, I know we all want to see Nate Pearson. I think I think the team does too, I, and I really hope that he can crack uh, the opening day roster. And I guess next week will be a big test for him because he's going to be starting one of the exhibition games down at Fenway. So we'll see how that goes. And, of course, you know they probably won't even make a final decision until after that series, or at least they don't have to. They like they don't have to feel obligated to tell us anything, but I really do think that that might be one of the X factors if he can break um, or you know make the open make the opening day roster and make the starting rotation. But like you said, there's two spots, and you've named some of the uh, the candidates, and I think Trent Thornton is going to be one of them as well. I just think that you know he's impressed so far at camp, um, and I think that this is something that I think he was almost um, a lock to make it this year. Uh, I wanted Ryan Barucki, but of course he was injured in the spring, so it kind of moved to Trent Thornton. And based off of a full season, Nate Pearson w- wouldn't be on the opening day roster, so it looked like it was going to be Trent Thornton from the get-go. And I think that, you know, with two spots open, I think it's almost a lock that he gets in. Shun Yamaguchi, I'm not too sure about the role that they want to put him in. I know he'd prefer to start, but he's good with the either or. Same with Ryan Barucki. He came out and said he's good with anything. And I think the Jays are generally or a little bit concerned with Ryan Barucki just because we know the injury troubles he had last year and you know he's going to be jumping into a full sprint not a marathon anymore a sprint so how good would it be for his health how much restrictions would have to be in place for him I just don't think that's a path the Jays want to visit unless absolutely absolutely necessary but I hey I could be wrong 
I could see him pitching out of the bullpen this year as well as Yamaguchi. He can do either or, like I said. But I just think that those two spots are down to Trent Thornton. And I think Nate Pearson gets the other one. just because Not just because of the hype. I just think that he's the best man for it. In a 60-game season, I think he can learn a lot from it. And based, based off of the restrictions and the fear of Ryan Barucki's health, I don't know if it's a good idea. Um, essentially, he didn't have a full spring training back in March. And he's kind of just ramping things up now in a two-week or three-week summer camp. And Shun Yamaguchi, I don't think there's any rush for him to move to the starting rotation. But that could also be a long-term thing that the Jays are looking at. And I think they want to see how he adapts, first of all, at the major league level. And if they want to be cautious with it, he starts in the bullpen. So those are the two those are the two guys I am predicting, which would be Trent Thornton and Nate Pearson. I agree that Trent, or excuse me, Nate Pearson is probably the best guy for the job. But at the same time, I disagree that he's going to be making the major league roster. And I disagree that the Blue Jays have yet to make a decision. I think they have already decided that he's going down for whatever it is, six days, seven days, 10 days to, you know, accrue that service time and avoid the, you know, service time provision and get an extra year of, um, of control over him um, at the end of his time with the Blue Jays because they have shown complete willingness to do this. And yes, it is a shortened season. And yes, it's important to get everything you can out of your best guys. And I think Pearson is their best guy for that position. But at the same time, I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to send him, send him down for the minors for that period of time and then bring him right back up as soon as they have it. So to me, that's already a clear decision and that rules Pearson out. I did forget to mention earlier, Anthony Kay another guy involved in those discussions. And honestly, I think he's my number one pick to take that spot. We saw him in the inter-squad games working really well, throwing inside to batters, which we know Pete Walker likes from his pitchers. So I think he's making a lot of good impressions. He was already up in the majors last year, and I think he's certainly major league ready to take a starting rotation spot. So I think Anthony Kay would definitely be my first pick. But like you said, Ryan Brucky, I'm not sure the Blue Jays are totally willing to start him in the starting rotation just because of what you said, the injury scare during spring training um, when they had to shut him down. And then, of course, he lost a few months of development. At the same time, I like to think that he's fully recuperated because, you know, they had three months off, but who knows? And I think he is slightly behind in his development. Um, so I think the final two spots, or excuse me, the final one spot is is down between Trent Thornton and Ryan Brucky. Um I would like to see Ryan Brucky in that spot because I think he obviously has a ton of potential. And he was talking in his media availability at the Rogers Center about how in 2018, you know, he was on the top of his game. He was amazing in 2018, as we all know. But 2019, he struggled with injuries, got a lot of mental stuff, um, you know, just figuring things out in the majors. Um, so he kind of, he fell behind in 2019. But I'm Really excited for what Brucky has in store, and I think the Blue Jays should take a chance on him, even though he might be a little bit behind in terms of ramping things up than some other guys, whether it's Yamaguchi, whether it's Wegas Pack, um, or some other dark horse. So, yeah, my top two picks would be Anthony Kay and Ryan Brucky. Yeah, I don't know the specifics with the service time this year, like I've also mentioned before. Uh, how it's going to work. So I guess that you definitely could take that into account with Nate Pearson. Um, but again. Next week at Fenway, I think that's going to be a, a big, it's going to be the biggest test for him, obviously, that he's seen, um, you know, in a long time, probably in his career, because this will be, I think it'll be one of the deciding factors. And I, I don't, I, I don't know, you could be right that they made a decision, but, you know, knowing 
you know, knowing how they have a week left, anything can change. Everything's tentative anyway, and nothing's set in stone. They can if he if he pitches good in Fenway, you never know uh, if that changes plans or not. But with Ryan Barucki, I do think he's a he's a good fit long term. Like you said, Mark, I'm on board with you there. I just don't know. You know, let's say he does make the rotation. What's the pitch count going to be? Because you know he's going to have restrictions. Is he going to pitch what pitched three innings to start? Like how is it? How is that going to work in terms of restrictions and? Is this is this something that the team can afford this year in a sixty game season? I don't know, but in two thousand and twenty one, I do think he's a definitely a good candidate to make the rotation coming on. Maybe you know, hopefully a healthy spring next year, and hopefully a good camp, and um, you know all the building blocks that would lead up to him making it out of out of the spring. So I do like Ryan Barucki as potential for long term. I just I don't know if it's something that is a good idea for this year. But again, even if he does make the rotation, what are the, you know there's going to be restrictions in place because of the injuries he dealt with. Last year, he only made like two or three starts. And then to make it even, or to even think about it more, we know he had to shut down activities, right? You know, one of the first, the first week of camp, even before any game started. So it's definitely, it's definitely going to be, it's definitely a tough decision that this, these guys do have to make. And Anthony Kay is definitely a dark horse. I, I just don't see it happening, but uh, I'm, I'm still set in Soma Pearson, unless like you said, the, the, the service time thing is legit. I don't know. I haven't read up on it. But I think we're, we both agree that Trent Thornton's probably a lock for either the fourth or fifth spot. And uh, again, with Yamaguchi, we just haven't really heard much about. And I think he's going to be he's going to be a bullpen option just because they want to. I guess they want to see how he adapts there. But definitely going to be interesting. And it's all it all depends on what the Jays want to do here. You know what what they see with Ryan Barucki because he's ramping up activities. It's been a three week summer camp, but you know he's not going to be pitching without a restriction or pitch counts or innings limits you know there's there's definitely going to be something in place and who knows if the Jays want to deal with that this year who knows but uh I'm not going to rule him out of it I do think he's still in contention I think he I think he's got probably the third best chance behind uh Thornton like I think he's got a better chance than Yamaguchi for sure but it definitely will be interesting and maybe you're maybe you're right Mark maybe that this has already been decided but you know from what I want to see too I want to see them take this in the next week and I want to see this exhibition series means something. I want it to be very important for the future and for their decision-making before opening day next Friday. And that exhibition series that you mentioned coming up next week against the Boston Red Sox at Fenway Park, Tuesday and Wednesday night, 7.30 start times for both of those. So that should be an exciting game, an exciting series to watch, knowing the ramifications it could have on this Blue Jay roster. So definitely tune into those if you're available for those games. In other news, the Blue Jays have not been announcing the players who have tested positive for COVID-19. We've seen teams around the league, it's pretty much split 50-50 whether a team you know, decides to release their player information, of course, with the player consent of whether they've tested positive or if they decide to keep it private, um, the Atlanta Braves, one of the teams, you know, Freddie Freeman testing positive and talking about his struggles with COVID-19. But the Blue Jays have kept silent about that. The players have kept silent. Um, There's clear speculation involved about why Brandon Drury has not been seen at camp at all, why Jonathan Davis was only seen at camp, I think it was last night for the first time, why Lourdes Goriel Jr. was a few days delayed. Hector uh, Perez was another guy who we didn't see for a few days. Um, And we know the speculation. Like I think we can safely say that Either these players did test positive or they had exposure to someone who did test positive. Um, 
Like, we're not really being confused by any of this. It's just an interesting decision that the Blue Jays are not, A, asking their players to release the information. The Atlanta Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, of course, former GM of the Blue Jays, now with the Braves, has been said that he wants his players to talk about this. He wants to raise awareness of how this impacts people, even young and fit people. Um, So it's interesting that the Blue Jays are taking this approach, not making it public, I do understand, you know, the health and privacy ramifications of this. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Bryson. Yeah, I don't think that this information should be released unless it's coming from the player itself. Right. Um, and going to Alex Anthopoulos' point, I do see what he's saying. And if they do want to raise awareness and talk about it, it should be up to the players. It shouldn't be up to the organization. So I, that's my opinion. And I think, you know, we, we know what's going on if they, if they haven't shown up to camp yet. Uh, the NHL, what they're doing over in their phase three or whatever they're calling it for their workouts, when they're not even saying an injury now, they're, what, what they're saying is unfit to play. And they're not even disclosing if someone's injured or has COVID. That's what they're saying now. He's unfit to practice, and that leaves people guessing. So maybe it's a similar approach with um, the Blue Jays. I know that I guess they're kind of saying it but not saying it, saying that they're just they're, they're, on, the, they're on the injured list but they're not at camp. But the problem is, that I guess, you know, regardless of if you want to say unfit to play or not at camp, I think we all know what's going on. And you don't, you don't want to jump to conclusions, obviously. But, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out um, what's going on behind the scenes. But I just think it should be up to the players, right? And an example was this. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, too, with Jacob, is that Austin Matthews on the Leafs was tested positive, And his name got released, not from him, from Steve Simmons, on Twitter, and he took so much heat for that. He was trending first in the country. He was getting pretty much all the. He was pretty much getting ripped on for releasing his name, and rightfully so. I, I just, I think I don't think it's in the boundaries of somebody other than the player to release this, especially if it's coming from a reporter. So if if the player feels comfortable releasing um, the information that they have tested positive, then go ahead. We already have seen it throughout some sports, like you said, Freddie Freeman was one of them. I think his wife pretty much. Um, explained that he never gets sick and for the first time ever or in a long time he was you know he had a high fever he had, he pretty much had you know mild to moderate symptoms of COVID-19 so but for the the organization to release it without the player's consent or whatever the details are I just I think it's right to keep it private and you know we, we've seen this anyway throughout all sports is all these teams really don't like telling the media anything anyway about these injuries and everyone's pretty much you know, they're pretty much short and uh, bitter about it. They don't really elaborate too much on it. So I don't think it's something that any that we haven't seen before. But this should be up to the players. And if they want to talk about awareness, I, I fully support it. You know, if they want to donate antibodies for a potential vaccine, go ahead and they should. But it should be up to the players. It should be the players' right. And they shouldn't feel obligated that they have to release the information. But when it comes to players like Brandon Drury, um, you know, you hope to see him soon. You hope he's doing all right, regardless of what he's dealing with. And it was good to see players like Jonathan Davis, like you said, arrive last night. Lourdes Gurriel um, arrived sometime this week. So it's good to see them at camp. Even Randall Gritchick was a late arrival. So it's good to see them at camp. But if it's the players not saying it, then it shouldn't be disclosed. And that's that's final, from my opinion, or what I believe and think. But I don't know if you oppose. I just I don't think it's it has the right to any third-party reporter or anyone from the organization with the, the player's consent. Yeah, 100%. It should only be the players making the decision. And I think legally it is only the players who can make this decision based on healthcare privacy laws that say unless the injury or health issue is related 
to their work. If it's related to baseball, the teams can announce it and release that information. But if it's not, the teams don't have permission to do that and they have to get permission from the players. So, of course, bottom line, you know, common ground is that the players have to consent to this. And I don't think anyone would argue that it is ethical to release it um, if the players don't consent. And, you know, Steve Simmons, we all have thoughts on him. He's a very controversial guy. And I think he was in the wrong to, you know, report on Austin Matthews testing positive because that's personal. It, it's none of our business unless the players decide to make it our business. But at the same time, like you said, there is clear speculation and we all know what's going on because, you know, like to take an example, we were talking about it earlier, Chase Anderson, um, the Blue Jays came out. They said, OK, he has an oblique strain. He is day to day. He might miss opening day. Boom. OK, we know that. And then when they ask about Lourdes Goriel Jr. or Brandon Drury or Jonathan Davis, Charlie Montoyo says no comment. Like, we all know what's going on here. And whether they did test positive, whether they were exposed to someone who had symptoms, whether they were just having trouble, you know, crossing the border, because these players are international players, not just from the U.S., not just from Canada, but from all around the world. We don't know. But it leads to speculation and I think we talked about player privilege last last episode, and I think these players are in a position where they can impact the general public attitude towards COVID-19 by speaking out and making it clear about, you know, the seriousness of this illness and how we all have to stay incredibly vigilant. And I am a little upset that the Blue Jays aren't pushing for that. Like I said, Anthopolis with the Braves, pushing to have players release that information, make this change socially and in the public eye. But at the same time, bottom line, we can all agree that this is 100% private and should never be taken out of the players' hands because it is a decision that should be made solely by the players. But turning now, I guess, more to actual baseball things, this is our last episode that we're recording before the season starts on Friday, of course, 60-game season, 60-game season, and... It's going to be very, very exciting, and I'm very excited to get it started. But we have some predictions that we want to make and get in on the record before it starts for breaking rights after the season. Uh, but I guess kicking things off, what would you say the Blue Jays' final record will be after this season? Well, look, based off of projections from fan graphs, I believe that they predicted 27-33. and 33, And, you know, that's definitely, or based off of that, I don't think that's good enough for a postseason. Um, you know that I'm one that thinks that the postseason's definitely more likely this year, and I think everyone does, but I'm definitely you know, one that's fully supportive of that. Although I still don't think they will be making the postseason, I will up that prediction, and I'm going to up it by a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they do finish above 500 by one game. I'm, I'm going to be optimistic, and I'm going to say 31 and 29. I think it's too good to be true, but you know, around 27 to 30 wins, I think that's reasonable for the Jays to do and I really do think that's something that's very likely unless something changes where they over exceed or underperform but I'll 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 say 31 and 29 to go a little bit over the uh, my prediction I don't think it's postseason worthy at all Um, I do think it's more likely and I do think that we're going to see surprise teams anyway out of the the American League you know with the shortened season you can easily see what one or two one for sure and you might see upwards of two teams that completely surprise you. And there's no reason why the Jays can't be one of those teams that surprise people. And who knows if it's good enough for a surprise that they can get into postseason contention. 
But the one thing that you have to look at too is the schedule difficulty. We went over this last week and we both, all of us, all three of us said, you know, we were all excited about the season. But then once the schedule finally came out, you looked at it and you're, you were, that's when it started to, that's when it started to hit me where I'm like, this is going to be really difficult, especially how they start. They have to start against the Rays. We know the struggles they have at the Rays. We know the struggles at the Trot. Then they got to go to Washington and split a four-game series home and home with the Nationals. So that's not going to make it any easier. Then they got to play Atlanta. And these are all teams. These are all playoff teams. These are all teams that made the playoffs last year. And the NL East itself is a strong division. Or based off of projections and results from 2019, it's a strong division. The Phillies are supposed to be better than last year. And you're dealing with a lot of teams that are above 500. So... Based off of that, you know the Jays will definitely get wins. No one's arg- no one's you know no one's not arguing that they're gonna. But around twenty seven to thirty wins is what I predict. And of course, even when you want to look at it from the AL East, they play all their games against the Yankees in September. So not only do they have to get off to a good start, but September would obviously be a, a huge deciding factor where, of where they sit, whether they have to go on a postseason push, or by then they might already be out of it. So. It's definitely going to be difficult, uh, but that's my prediction. I'll be overly optimistic, 31 and 29, but a reasonable number would definitely be 27 to 30 wins. But even with my optim- over-optimistic record prediction, I don't think it's postseason worthy, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely not postseason, in my opinion. We've been hearing Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, talking all about how the Blue Jays are better than you think and don't sleep on us, um, which I agree with, honestly. I think the Blue Jays are very good, and... We're only going to get better from here because these players are getting more experience in the majors. Um, but at the same time, like I, I don't think we can ignore the truth that the Blue Jays have the third hardest schedule in all of baseball. They're facing some of the best teams in all of baseball, and they're in one of the toughest divisions in the AL East slash NL East. So I don't think we can ignore that and say, yeah, the Blue Jays are going to be great this season when it, they, they could be. No one's saying it's impossible, but it's not looking likely with the teams that they have to face. So yeah, I'm I'm right around where you are. I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic than you. I'm going to say, uh, I'll go 28 and 32. Um, originally I was leaning 27 and 33, but I I am a, I am confident in what the Blue Jays can do. I'm just worried about the schedule, so I'll say 28 and 32. And even with that. I still take it, even if they get around 27 wins, which is which is uh, the projections from Fangraphs, uh, whatever, 15% postseason chance, but even if they get around that, I still see it as an absolute success of a season because you want to see this team continue to trend up and continue to develop, and you don't want this season to kind of be a lost cause where they lose pretty much a year. So, of course, you want to see them win every game possible. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, Mark, but even if they go, like I said, around... I'll say 20, I'll even say 26 wins. If they get around 25, 26, um, that's, you know, that's entering a little bit of the border territory where I think it's successful. But if they get around the 27 mark or 27 win mark, which Fangraphs is projecting, how can you, how can anybody be disappointed with that? What this team could have, what this team did or hopefully does with the, the, the schedule they have to play with the teams they have to play. Um, first of all, they don't even know where they're playing home games yet. So they're, they're, they're already in a different boat from these other teams, but it's an absolute success of a season, in my opinion, if this happens. Um, you have the three, you know, we, we know the lineup core. Nate Pearson's expected to be here, whether it's next week or wh- whether it's down the road. You have all these young players who you're going to have. And then even after this year, you have, you know, you have Hinjin Ryu for another three years. So it gives us a, gr- a better look into the future. And hey, 
I know it's ridiculous and I know it's crazy and I know anything can happen, but you can't rule out Austin Martin playing at all either. You can't. Even though if it doesn't happen, you can't rule that out. So this could be an exciting season for all of us. So I'm, first of all, more excited enough for the baseball to actually be back. For, for the Blue Jays, this could be a very promising season. And even if it doesn't lead to a postseason berth, it still can be promising for what the future holds and for this team to continue to get better. So uh, they have a lot at stake this year and they have a lot of room for success. And it, for me, a postseason berth, it depends on the record. But I'm not saying a postseason birth or no postseason birth doesn't mean it wasn't a successful season. Here's a fun question for you. And it would never happen. Here we go. <laughs> it would never happen. But if the Blue Jays went zero and sixty, how upset would you be? Would you be like livid or would you just be like, well, it's a pandemic, it doesn't really matter? Oh, I'd be livid because well, I, <laughs> first of all, yeah, it's a pandemic. We all know, but the the problem is every team went through a pandemic, right? Everyone's going through this. But to to go zero wins that's like I feel like that's just like an insult to everybody. Not only is it an insult to the fan base, but how can the players, you know, live with their live with themselves for that? So, I mean, I mean, I guess if you're looking at it like from the Orioles or Rays, or not the Orioles, Orioles or Marlins, I guess they definitely have a better chance to go in 0 and 60 because they're playing the exact same or number of teams as the Jays are, but that would I would be absolutely livid. Like it would probably get to the point where like I don't know. I don't know what I would do as a Blue Jays fan if that ever happened. How would you react? I I feel like I'm taking everything this season with a grain of salt that I just wouldn't actually care that much cuz like if it, let's consider a more realistic situation, maybe the Blue Jays go 15 and 45 instead of, you know, what they're projected 27 and 33. Like they just get out of the gate really bad, you know, maybe I don't know, Ryu and Bachet and Guerrero come down with injuries or COVID-19 and, you know, they they're just struggling out of the gate. I don't think 15 and 45 is completely out of the box. But if they went 15-45, like, I wouldn't really care. Like, so much of this is just out of our hands, like, and none of it matters because it's only a 60-game season that I, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be really upset or even that excited on whatever the results are of this season just because it's, there's so much that is uncertain and up in the air. Like, I'm not reading anything into what happens this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced with the full team, barring any injuries or um, COVID infections, I'm. There's no way. I. I just. I can't see this team winning less than 20 games. But. But hey, you can't. Like you said, you can't predict this. Nobody can predict, especially this year because of COVID. COVID can change anything. Like for for a team that's going down the final week of a season, and if their star player gets COVID, that that would ruin it. It potentially would ruin it. So, I. It can change anything, but it's something you can't predict. And we know the way with we know the way injuries are in baseball too. You can't predict that. It can happen at any time. It can last one day. It can last one week. It can last the whole year. Somebody can get hurt next week and probably not pitch again until September. So that, of course, you have to take away from predictions. But you know, I, I there's there's just no way, in my opinion, that they 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 win less than twenty games. But to your point, it is a pretty much. I get it's not a lost season. It's just something that is unpredictable in which anything can happen. Anybody can play. Um, you know, any team can beat any team. Any team can make the playoffs. The Marlins can make the playoffs for all you know. You never know. Um, but, I mean, that's a little too, like, extreme. But I guess you can't rule it out of the realm. But, <laughs> yeah, I I just, I don't, I don't know. You're right, though. It's a good question because 
if this team does underperform based off of these projections, you know, I don't know how I would take it. Uh, I know 0-60, I would definitely be livid. But yeah. for an example, like you said, with 15-45 um, and 45 or, uh, record, I don't know. How, I really don't know how I would accept that. I guess it all depends on the factors that happen throughout this. If injuries are the problem with it, then... Hey, you you know you sometimes you can't beat the injury bug. You know the way the injury bug is. The Jays have dealt with it a few times, and if the team stays healthy and underperforms, then that's just a complete disappointment. So you know you hope that if this team does finish around that area, you hope that it's not because you know or you hope it's because of injuries, and you hope that it's not because of the actual you know quality of play. But hey, that's a good question, and I guess it's something that as the months go on or these three months go on. Um, it's just going to be something that I'm going to have to, you know, evaluate on a week to week basis. And I think we all will of how we would accept it. And then the other thing is, how would you accept if they completely over exceeded and made the playoffs? How would you accept that? I know we would all be completely excited, but would you take it as legit going into 2021? Like how, how, how serious would we all take it for the long term? So that's, that's another good point, but I'm just excited that it's back next week. And I, you know, of course, of course they have to make the Jays open up a Tropicana field. So that'll be great. Um, for, you know, just the way the, the park is, but can't wait. It's only a week away. And, um, you know, going one to know, you know, this team could easily be one to know by the time we record next week. So hopefully, uh, that's the case. Yeah. I think there's probably a good chance that one team this year has an outbreak of COVID-19 like in their clubhouse oh, yeah. and, you know, a bunch of players, get COVID-19 and if, if you think about it like these players are living in close proximity to each other maybe 10 players on a 30-man roster get COVID-19 maybe 15 players like what do you do then that team is going to be screwed for two weeks maybe three weeks because all of their major league players are on the injured list or COVID list or whatever you want to call it so then you bring up all these minor league guys from the 60-man player pool and then what do you do for those three weeks and you're just feeling replacement level players? So I think there's a possibility that, you know, one or a few teams just, you know, jump off the cliff basically in terms of their record. Um, but I, yeah, at the same time, I'm not reading anything into the results this year. Yeah. Um, if you have to give a percentage, what, so are you pretty much what you're saying too is, I mean, I would definitely agree with you. It's you're, are you pretty much guaranteeing or at least would you consider that, it is almost certain that COVID will pr- pretty much ruin a team's chances this year. Is it like too? Is it too extreme to say that, or do you think that's legit? No, I think that's something true. that will happen. I, I think at least at least one team will be utterly screwed because of COVID. I, I think yeah, they'll just not yeah. be able to come back from all the players that they lose. Yeah, and like again, in this two weeks, that's that's the season right there. So if that goes down, if that goes, you know, if that falls off the rails, then unfortunately with the reality of a 60 game season it's done so you you can't recover no matter who you are you could be the yankees for all you care you can't recover for those two weeks if things go downhill like that it's just it's it'd be too much to overcome Mm -hmm. well we have two more predictions for this year that we want to get in the first one was the mvp of the team this year who do you think it's going to be i'm torn between bobochette and hyujin ryu i'm going to lean towards bobochette though just based on what we've seen from him so far bobochette's my mvp i know that i have it written down right here uh i'm just excited for the overall play um he can field he can hit you know i just i love the statement he made i I said i know i said at the beginning i love the statement he made the first pitch of the intra-squad game i loved it a home run it's it was awesome 
but Bobachet's my pick, and Hinjin Ryu too. I just think that first of all, he's going to be even more interesting too, and he's probably one of the, he's obviously the most important pitcher on this team, so he could be a deciding factor too. So it's it's actually it's not as much of a slam dunk as you want to call it, but if you want to call you know if you want that and that depends if you want to include pitchers in MVP or not, but he's obviously a lock to be the best pitcher on the team. Um, no one's arguing that, but Bobachet's definitely my pick. I have that written down too. And then Mark, you also, uh, you know, you also let us know about, um, you know, most surprising players. So I'd like to hear your thoughts before I share mine, because that's also something that would be hard to predict in this 60 game season. Yeah. To me, the breakout player of this year, the most surprising performance for me, just from what we've seen very, you know, in the short time scale of the inter-squad games and the workouts that we've seen, my money is on Santiago Espinal. Um, a lot of people have been talking about him. I don't think we really heard much about him before this year, but he's come into camp on the 60-man player pool, and he was in the inter-squad game, made a fantastic play on a double play that, you know, it made highlight reels all across baseball. He can play anywhere around the diamond, and... I think the Blue Jays, Charlie Montoyo, is really high on him. Espinal himself said he's willing to play anywhere as long as it gets the Blue Jays a World Series, which is exactly what you want to hear. So I'm going to pick him as the surprise player of this year. I think he can I, – I think personally he's going to make the team um, just to the product of, you know, the five extra roster spots that they have to deal with at the start of the year. And then he's going to prove that he is indispensable and they have to keep him. He is – uh, I would say my pick for breakout player of the year. Yeah, just remember where you got him from too. We got it for the World Series MVP, Steve Pierce, and a lot of mm-hmm. people forget about that. But hey, good for the you know good for the Jays for getting the quality of Santiago Espinal uh, for Steve Pierce, who was a rental with Boston or not a rental. Sorry, he did stay there for a few years, but he he was the World Series MVP. So I guess it was a win win for both sides, and that's good talent. And definitely with an extra four uh, four or five roster spots. Um, he could definitely be one of the breakup players of the year. And for that, do you also consider kind of like a comeback player? Or, um, would you consider that too? Like yeah, a comeback yeah. player, would that be? Yeah. So I guess, so I have a few names down here then because um, I think Trent Thornton definitely has the chance to be most surprising. Although we know he does have upside. Um, he, he, had a, he, he wasn't consistent last year. He had ups and downs, but he also was a rookie. So if he can be locked in this year and pitch well out of the gate, you know, where does that leave Chase Anderson when when he's potentially healthy? So, you know, I guess if he if Trent Thornton comes out of the gate, you know, pitching really well, I guess the Jays would have no choice but to keep him in there. Um, you know, Danny Jansen also has a, definitely has a chance offensively to be surprising or be a breakout player. He kind of he struggled a little bit last year at the plate, uh, but that doesn't take away his his defensive skills at catcher. So I have him down too. One other player I have is Jordan Romano. Um, he could. Be one of the key pieces to this bullpen. We know the bullpen kind of is weak with the depth, other than Ken Giles, um, Wilmer Font. I think he's on the injured list, but he could, you know, he's one of the the big guys too in the bullpen. But I, th- I like I like my chances on Jordan Romano for potentially breaking out or being surprising out of the bullpen. He can be that dark horse that nobody thinks of that would be one of the most powerful weapons on this team out of the bullpen. So, and a few other players I have are Rowdy Telez. Because, first of all, he's somebody who hasn't gotten over that hump yet. Uh, he, he struggled with major league pitching, but uh, I think he had a minor league stint last year a few years ago where he can hit minor league pitching no problem. But the problem with him is the transition and executing off major league pitching. So he's, he's surprised so far in these inter-squad games. 
And if it can carry over to actual play, he definitely can be a breakout player for someone who's young. And, you know, he's he needs one of these breakouts anyway. And you can't rule out Travis Shaw also because, first of all, he's on a one-year deal with an option. Not a lot of security beyond this season. Somebody who had the worst uh, stats of his career last year. He's another one that could easily be a comeback or surprising player of the year who wants to revamp his value. So those are the players I have down. Uh, great, A great chance for all of them to succeed or overcome and surprise all of us because it, it could easily happen in a season like this. But Travis Shaw's role as well, he's going to be playing third base now. Majority of the reps will come at third base. So he's he's definitely an important part of this team this year. And if he underperforms like he did last year, then um, that could potentially hurt the team. But I, I think he's a candidate for sure to potentially come back or break out, whatever you want to call it for but him. But yeah, these lists are my predictions. Yeah, for sure. And just with a few minutes we have left, um, we did want to touch on the new news or some of the new news about the Blue Jays' plan to play in Toronto. Um, we actually just got news earlier in this podcast around 12 p.m. today that the Blue Jays, or rather Ottawa and the federal government, plans to announce today whether the Blue Jays can play in Toronto. I don't know if you saw this, Bryson, from CBC. Oh, but oh, yeah, it, yeah. So wow. I, I don't want to talk too much about this because it's probably going to be outdated by the time people are yeah. listening to this. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> they really have to okay. play in Toronto. I We've learned more over the past week about why they can't play really anywhere else. Of course, playing in Dunedin, it's Florida. That's self-explanatory. Playing in <laughs> Buffalo, the field isn't totally up to specifications. There is not the the exact lighting that you have to have for a major league field. And then, of course, there's only two clubhouses. They're really close compared to the four clubhouses that you have at the Rogers Center, the two football, two baseball clubhouses. Um, so you really got to play in Toronto. Like, that's the best option right now. So the Blue Jays really pushing for that. But I guess we'll find out later today whether their um, efforts are successful. Yeah, and this has to come today. Like, we're, we're, we're a week away and we still don't know what, what's going to happen. But... Mark, you, you took all my points down with Buffalo. I don't mind Buffalo as a plan B, but there's too much to overcome in a week. If this was something that was considered two months ago, I think it'd be no, not even, maybe six weeks ago, four weeks ago. The lighting has to get up to speed. Like There's so much hurdles that they have to overcome in a week. And I don't know if it's possible. You have to get like, you, I mean, I'm not going to repeat what you said because that's pretty much all I had down, but I just think Buffalo is too much to overcome in a week. But uh, yeah, I didn't even see that report that came out and you actually kind of scared me because you were going to ca- catch me off guard without a result. <laughs> but I, I think I think it's looking like Toronto, to, to be honest with you. Because first of all, this started the same way with the, for them getting clearance to play or to do camp here. It started with John Tory supporting it, which is the mayor. And as you go up the ladder, municipal or sorry, provincial with Doug Ford, and the last government to approve would be the feds or the federal government. So it started like it was the exact same thing last time. And I think it's I think it's going to happen. To be honest with you, I really do, because even you know even if they don't get clear for this or whatever, how the federal government thinks, I don't know. I just I feel like there would be guilt too to just strand them out of out of Toronto like this with the week to go because this is pretty short notice now. It would have been great for an answer a couple weeks ago. To be honest with you, I think this has kind of gone dragged on a little too much. I just I don't think it's a good look on the government now to strand them. And I understand that the criticism from the public. But we know that we know some of the new guidelines that are in place, and it's what we all expected, is which both teams, or for sure the visiting team, I think it's both teams too, they stay in the Rogers Center Hotel. And I do think if that happens, I think this can easily be done. They're isolated from the public, so nobody should care. And nobody sh- there's no excuse for people to be mad at that. 
if that's part of the rules. So I know I've, we, we, we don't want to touch on it too much, but I think it's most likely going to happen now, even based off what we saw from Doug Ford, because I was confused when it came out. I thought there was clearance. I sent it to you guys right away, but then I realized, I'm like, wait a sec. It hasn't even been approved by the feds yet. And then even Scott, Mitch, Scott Mitchell came out quickly and said, hey, this means nothing pretty much until the federal government signs off on it. But I think it's looking like this way. Same way it went with the clearance from um, for camp to be here. All Both the municipal and provincial governments are on board, so there's no hurdles there, even if the federal government approves it. But I think at this I think at this point it has to. And even if you want to think about it for Buffalo, let's say the Jays end up playing there in a week. You know, now you have to find another alternate site for the the taxi squad. And is that New Hampshire or do they send them back to Dunedin? There's just too much hurt, too many hurdles ahead if they don't get approved with the week to go. I, I think that it's going to happen. Well, fingers crossed it does. I think my mind has changed over the past week. I mentioned earlier my confidence in the you know protocols that. The, the Blue Jays have been taking, you know, hearing from Dan Schulman saying how safe it was inside the stadium. Um, my view has changed. I, I think I, I think they can do this safely, and I think that's the opinion of, as you mentioned, John Tory, his health advisors, Doug Ford, his health advisors were just waiting on the federal government, which, you know, doesn't have control over health care in the Canadian system. I'll remind people, but they do have control over course travel in and out of Canada and that's the main problem it's a 14-day quarantine and the non-essential travel restrictions that are barring this from happening right now Um, but I I think this can be done safely as you mentioned Scott Mitchell who is killing it in terms of reporting on all this Um, of course Scott Mitchell from TSN he said you know the players after Travis Shaw's outburst kind of um, last week, he I, I think the players are mostly on board now with, you know, the idea of staying in the Rogers Center in a modified quarantine. And um, we're hearing reports from, I think it was Shai Davidi or Scott Mitchell, I can't remember who said that, you know, the teams are going to arrive in Toronto on chartered planes, they're going to take buses directly to the Rogers Center, quarantine in the hotel. You know, I, I think this can be done safely. So I, 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 my fingers are crossed that we hear good news later today, but I'm sure by the time you're listening, you have, you have heard the news, and hopefully it is good. But um, do you have any final thoughts, Bryson, before we wrap up? No, I, I just wanted to say too, Mark, from you warming up to it, you know, I completely understand that because what we, what we you know, seeing could be believing sometimes. And for you to see it, it gives you the optimism that this could be done. And I'm sure that a lot of other people were in the same boat as you were. Um, but I just, I think it's too much of a hurdle to, to deny them now, but I, I think it was actually better that this, it took longer in terms of them being here, but that's, that's it. And I, I really, I really do hope that they can play here. I just, I feel, I feel like there's guilt if you can, if you strand the team out of the country with the week to go here and them scrambling to find a home. I just, I don't think it's a good look at all, but they're, like I said, they're, they're isolated from the public right from the hotel or sorry, right from the airport to the hotel. There's no reason why it this couldn't or this shouldn't work so fingers crossed and by the next and by the next time we record hopefully the jays are one and oh yep we will find out shortly what happens but besides that thank you to everyone who listened and of course stay safe as always if you enjoyed this episode please rate and review our podcast on itunes just help spread the word about our podcast and as always we're looking forward to the game on Friday, and we'll be back with some more baseball news next Saturday to talk about the game action that we've seen so far. But until then, stay safe, and we'll catch you next week. We like our beer, fat as can be. We like our dogs, we